0: Thank you for that offertory. If you would, be praying for uh, Connie Hayne, who normally plays the piano. She's going to be having an arm surgery coming up, and yeah, would be praying for her if you would. Last couple of weeks, we have covered the heart parasites of guilt and anger, and this morning, our text is Luke chapter 12. If you have a Bible, I hope you'll head over there with me, and if somebody close to you doesn't have... Bible today, share with them so that we can all get a look at this in Luke chapter 12. As we get over to Luke chapter 12, we're going to read a parable uh, that Jesus gave us to teach us about our resources and about our stewardship. And so look at Luke chapter 12, we'll start in verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Today we're... Still in our series, Adding by Subtracting. And we're going to cover minus covetousness plus generosity. But first, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for its effect in our lives. I pray that we would allow it to work today as you see fit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: she's 3 your brain even while his lifeblood flowed fast away praying for sinners while in such woe no one but Jesus ever loves so blessed Redeemer precious Redeemer seems now I see him Calvary Street, wounded and bleeding for sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me, dying for me blessed. Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary Street, wounded and bleeding, for sinners pleading, blind and unheeded. Praises Ever find him through years unnumbered, on heaven's shore. My song shall praise him forevermore. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree. sinners pleading blind and unheeding dying for me blessed redeemer precious redeemer seems now i see him on calvary street wounded and bleeding for sinners pleading blind and
0: You for that song this morning. Well, I'm sure that if you've been here the last couple of weeks, that you are relieved today that we are talking about greed. Because that is one issue that you don't struggle with, right? I mean, after all, have you ever met someone who introduced himself to you as a greedy person? Uh, Hi, my name is Jerry, I'm a greedy person. Hi, my name is Larry, I'm a greedy person. Uh, probably not... The sad truth is, we've made it almost impossible to identify greed or covetousness in our own lives. Unlike guilt or anger, greed hides. It disguises itself. Uh, Think about it like this. Greedy people are savers. And saving is a good thing, right? I mean, even Dave Ramsey says that. You guys can you guys can shake your head. You can agree. I'm not going to lamb blast you. Savings a good thing, right? Uh, I'm not buying it. Uh, you're not with me. We'll, we'll go on to the next one. Um, greedy people, also, they're often planners. And planning is a good thing, right? Yeah, planning's a good thing. So you guys are with me. That's good work. Um, greedy people want to make Their financial future secure. They want to make sure that that they're ready for the long haul. And that's a good thing too, right? Okay, so there we go. And it's easy to hide from ourselves that we might be greedy or covetous. But people around us know, even though it's almost impossible to see in the mirror, it isn't hard to see in the folks around us. In fact, we can spot it almost instantly in someone else. Uh, We look at people around us, and probably you're already thinking of somebody in your head today who's greedy, right? Um, Greedy people talk a lot and worry a lot about money. They are not cheerful givers, they're reluctant to share. Here's one that I did not like to hear Uh, Covetous people are poor losers. All right, wow, hit me hard because I really like, I like games. Um, they quibble over the most piddly amounts of money. So if the clerk at the store um, overcharges them 13 cents, they will stand in the service line for 30 minutes to get their 13 cents back because it's right and it's fair and they're greedy. Um, but you guys are getting really quiet. I don't know what, I don't know what's happened. I, I told one on me, right? So just start to digest this. We're still talking about other people, not you, right? Uh, we haven't even got to you yet. This is still other people. You've got to stay with me here. Um, so they quibble over piddly amounts of money. Um, they're much more worried about their own money than they are about other people's money. Right? So if it's somebody else's money, it's not a big deal. If it's their money, oh my goodness, watch out. Because they will be on you like white on rice if you try to steal their money. Okay, you guys didn't like that one either. That's too old. Um, Mark that 80s jokes not work anymore. Okay. Um, So, one. they often talk as if they have just enough to get by. And they're just barely making it. They don't know if they're going to make it for another month. And they create a culture of secrecy around themselves. Um, here's one. They won't let you forget if they've ever done something for you. You remember that time five years ago when I helped you with your tire? Right? You remember that time 18 years ago when I bought you a pair of shoes? Right? They won't let you forget what they've done for you. Covetous folks are reluctant to express gratitude. They aren't content with what they have. And they attempt to control people with their money. The funny thing is this. A greedy person could be anyone. It is not a young or old thing. It is not a rich or poor thing. It's not a financial issue. It is a heart issue. And that's why it's so important that we cover it. Because it's one of those parasites that can take over your life. And you don't even know it. Have you ever heard about somebody who traveled abroad? And they came back, and like six months later, they started to get sick, and then they got really sick, and sometimes they got really, really sick, and they got close to death, and no doctor in the United States could figure out what is going on here. And finally, they figured out that they had like a tapeworm from the water in Africa, or they had a pinworm that went into their foot from the mud in India. I'm selling mission trips right now. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but they find out later on that there's some parasite that got in their body that they had no idea, right? They didn't have a clue what was going on. And that's the way greed is a lot of times. We don't really understand what's happening to us until it's all wrapped up inside of us, till it's grabbed our hearts. And sometimes by then, we, we've lost our relationship with God. And and so we've got to really attack this today as a heart issue. And right now, we're going to switch gears because I want you to stop looking outside the window to other people who are greedy and right now look in the mirror. Right now, go inside your own heart and let's talk about this issue one-on-one as if God is speaking directly to you. And, And it basically starts with this question, is this an issue for you? And and I want you to think these questions over now in your heart today. Um, Just let them process. Is it hard for you to give away money? Is it hard for you to give away money? Are you quick to make excuses? Do you hesitate to give because you are careful? You're careful about how much you give. When you do give, do you feel like the person owes you something in return? Are there strings attached to your gifts? If this is a hard issue, I can tell you that your family feels like they are competing with stuff. Your family, your kids, your wife, your husband, the people around you, they may feel like you value stuff over them. And when something breaks at the house, if it's the end of the world to you, they see where the value is. They see where your heart is. And so I really want you to take this one in and process it, because just like anger and guilt that we've already covered, we all are susceptible to greed. I stand up here today on this platform just as susceptible to this heart sin as anybody else. And every person in the room is susceptible to this one. And so covetousness can really get us. Look at Luke 12. I want you to go back up to verse 15 now. And look at the verse that Jesus gave before he told the parable. He always told the parable for a reason, to explain something. Here's the verse he told before the parable. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So he says, you better watch out, take heed, beware. And then Jesus gives a story to illustrate what happens when greed gains a foothold in the human heart. And we're going to see in the four parts this morning, if you'd like to follow along, notes are provided in your bulletin. Let's start by talking about the source of earning. The source of earning. Where does earning come from? Let's read verses 16, 17, and 18. One more time. I really want you to get comfortable with this. Um, think about the pronouns that I say. Do you guys remember pronouns? You guys, how many of you remember what a pronoun even is? Oh, no. We're in big trouble. Um, like I, me, right? You guys remember those? He, she, we. Not the French word, like the the English word, we. All right, you guys are really just, I don't know what's going on. Okay. Verse 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now look at this. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits and he said this will I do I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods and I will say to my soul right he's the owner of all these things right he he's got all of this for himself it's an i my scenario in his life and it never once crossed this man's mind That God may have had something to do with his harvest. How many of you have ever farmed anything bigger than one acre? Right? I don't care if it's hay, barley, alfalfa, okra. (laughs) There's not much okra in Idaho. How many of you like okra? How many of you like fried okra dipped in cornmeal and then battered, and then put into a deep fryer, and if you put it on top of your head, I've told no, I won't even do it. Your tongue will slap your brains out to try to get you. How many like fried okra? All right, how many of you? This it destroys me to even have to ask this question. How many of you have never in your life had fried okra? God bless your hearts. Oh, my goodness. We're going to have to have fried okra Sunday. I don't know if we'll be able to get enough okra here for it, but we obviously need to have fried okra Sunday. Right, Morris? Am I, am I talking right? Goodness gracious. Um, if you've ever planted a crop, though, how many of you understand that once you plant the seed, you really are kind of limited in how much crop actually comes out, right? There's this little thing called weather and wind and insects, and you can manage the crop and you can do your best to to pull weeds and to water and to get insecticide and pesticide and herbicide and any other thing on the food that could kill us. Um, You could get all that on there, but... But your crop, basically, once you get it out there, it's up to God. And that's the way it is when we plant things in our lives. And so often, though, we take the the harvest and we get this supersized sense of ownership. That's what happened to the man in the parable. He really thought that he owned it all. He earned the good things that came his way. And because he earned it, it was up to him to control his wealth and his possessions and what he was going to do. And could I just tell you that the covetous heart never considers the notion that God may have something to do with his ability or his abundance. The covetous heart thinks that his ability came from himself. The covetous heart thinks that He's a self-made man or a self-made woman. And that abundance came because he's worked so hard. And if we're not careful, we buy into it. Um, He seems to think he deserves every good thing that comes his way. And God has dispelled this thought repeatedly in his word. We're constantly reminded, reminded, See, some of you are paying attention. I, I like the. Um, I did that one on purpose, just to make sure you were with me. Um, God constantly reminds us that that we're we're not the owners. Um, he's the owner. We're just managers. Go with me back to the fifth book of the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter eight, and I want you to look at this principle that God gave to the Jewish nation all the way back in about 1450 BC. So we're talking about 3,500 years ago that God gave a principle. It's powerful, and it's a good one to keep in our lives. The source of earning is God. Let's look at the passage. Deuteronomy 8, verse number 17. And thou say in thine heart, my power... And the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. So God gives us this principle that says, listen, I am the source of earning. I am the one who gives anybody the ability to get wealth or blessings or abundance Every good and perfect gift comes from me. And the source of blessing is God. He's the one who gives ability and allows abundance. But it's all his, and it's all for his glory. It's all to do his covenant. In the New Testament, it's all for his kingdom. When Jesus says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's what that verse is about. It's about the source of earning. But then the search for enough, as we move on to the second part of the message. The search for enough. How much is enough? And this is a question for your heart right now. How much is enough? And I want you to think about it, just for a second. How much in your savings account would be enough? How much in your savings account would be enough? I know some of you are thinking a dollar would be more than a half. Right, Some of you are thinking, you know what? If we could get $500 in our savings account, we'd feel great about that. And other people are thinking of different numbers. Pastor, if we got 5000 we we feel like that'd be good. Some are thinking the FDIC limit. Right? And the ones who just chuckled know what it is. It's $100,000. If we could have that in our savings account, Pastor, we'd feel pretty good about that. Because we know that we'd be secure. How much is enough? How much in the retirement account is enough? A quarter of a million? Half a million? 125,000? How much in the brokerage account will be enough? And what I say next might blow your mind, so I want you to listen very closely. If you don't hear anything else, hear this one. Greed is fueled and driven by fear. Greed is fueled and driven by fear. People who are greedy are afraid. What if I lose my job? What if I lose my house? What if I'm renting a house in Idaho and the person who owns the house lets it go back to the bank? that happens a lot, I these days. What if I get sick? What if I get cancer? What if something unexpected happens? What if that person has more than I do? What if I don't get my fair share? Fear. Doubt. You know what it really comes down to is this. There's a thought that says, maybe God can't take care care of me it's really what it is maybe God can't take care of me maybe God won't take care of me maybe he can but maybe he just won't maybe God isn't going to provide for me in the way I want to be taken care of it's like God he takes care of people but he doesn't know how I need to be taken care of. He doesn't really know what I need. And so fear drives greed. And I already told you, this fear and this greed are so burdened and burned into our heart that it doesn't matter how much money you have, you may be a poor person. You may think that you're the poorest person on the planet. You could still have the sin of greed attached to your heart. Because it's fear It's driven by fear And because it is driven by fear Greedy people can never have enough To satisfy their need to feel secure And they say things like that Once I feel secure Then I'll do more for other people Once I feel secure We'll do this You know there will always be another what if That drives them to acquire more Always. There's always another what if. It's an appetite, scripturally, that God says can never be satisfying. And you might feel like you have never have quite enough. Which is, of course, the very thing you fear. When this happens, you can never be at peace with yourself, with anyone else, or with God. And greed... You didn't know this probably because you didn't even know you were greedy, and you still may not know it as you sit here today. But greed is straining every relationship you have. Do you think there could possibly be a reason why 50% of marriages end in divorce, and out of those, 60% divorce, they say in surveys, because of money? Could it be that one or two greedy people who are in a relationship together are driven by fear and by pushing and by pulling and all these things that are tugging on our hearts? Greed strains our relationships over stuff, over whether it's enough because of fear. Then I want to talk thirdly, though, about the surrender of everything. And we're going to go back to this parable because you really have to see what God is talking about in this passage to understand what, what we're talking about in the message. The surrender of everything. Greed is always looking for something good to hide behind because it's a, it's a manipulator. It disguises. It, it's always building camouflage. And so this man in the parable, he decided, we read it, to build bigger barns to secure his future. Nothing wrong with having bigger barns. But what I've seen is bigger barns and bigger garages have led America to storage wars on the Discovery Channel. Right? And there are people, there actually is a TV show of people who go to a storage unit to bid on whatever's going to be in it, and then they find these precious, wonderful items that somebody kept, and they go sell them. And it was so important, it's such a precious item to that person that they stored it for 20 years, and then they didn't pay their bill. Or they stored it for 15 years, and then they died, and their kids didn't pay their bill. It was such a precious, wonderful thing in that storage unit. And, and here was this man, who decided to build bigger barns to secure his future. Let's read it again. Go back with me to Luke 12. And this is some of the lingo that we use in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own thought processes. And so let's, let's really take heed, as Jesus said, to this language. Verse number 19, Luke 12. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. So here's a guy thinking that he would have his needs taken care of for many years. Nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with planning for the future. Thanks to his discipline and his planning, His kids won't have to take care of him in his old age. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? You guys are afraid to say anything at this point. Like, am I supposed to say right? Am I supposed to shake my head? Or am I supposed to just sit here like this? Or have I already checked out? Which one is it? Um, and, And the thing about it is, if the story ended there, we might think of this man as a role model of prudence. I mean, he may be a Dave Ramsey guru. They think, man, this guy's got it together. He followed Dave's plan, and now he's got this and that and that, and he did this, and this has paid off, and things are good. He's ready for the future. But the story doesn't end there. And by the way, nobody's story ends there. He planned ahead, but he didn't plan nearly far enough ahead. See, he was right in thinking that he needed to plan for the future. But he was presuming on years he did not have coming to him. And just like he overlooked the God factor in his ability to earn, I earn this. It's mine. I worked hard for this money. I'll do whatever I want with it. By the way, if you have two people in a relationship who both say that, could I tell you you're headed for a divorce court? Because you're both greedy. i just blatantly tell you, if what you're saying is, I earned that money, it's mine, I can do whatever I want with it, here's what you forgot. There's a God in heaven who allowed you to earn. This guy not only forgot that, but here's what else he forgot. He overlooked the God factor when counting how many years he had left. See, he was pretty sure that he knew how long he'd be around. He followed the actuary tables instead of following God. And he assumed that his abundance of stuff assured him an abundance of time. But the two don't have anything to do with each other. The very day that this man made the choice to keep everything he'd earned, he lost it. Or I guess you could say it lost him. See, just after he got off the phone with the barn renovation experts, he got some incredibly shocking news. He would die sometime that night. And this man of the parable is about to learn the hard way that life is not equal to your amount of stuff. He will run out of time before he runs out of stuff. And so will you. And so will I. Every one of us will run out of time before we run out of stuff. And it turns out that we're more dependent on God than we realize. In fact, the number of days that we get on this earth is determined completely by him. Him. The number of days you get on this earth has nothing to do with what your job is, what your retirement is, what your diet and exercise are. And we buy into these fables. You you probably shouldn't be eating trans fats all the time. I get that. But you know, your day of death has been appointed by God from eternity past. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. Too bad we don't see that we are equally dependent on God for our allotment of stuff. We understand we have an appointment with death. We get that. God appointed that. But you know, God also appointed why you have stuff. God also appointed how much stuff you have and what you ought to do with it. Look at the question Jesus asks in verse 20. Now, this is one of the most obvious questions in the Bible. Look at this. Verse number 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Now, look at the question. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Here's the obvious answer. Someone else's. Someone else's. In the end... All of the rich man's stuff would be distributed to other people. Not because he was generous, but because he was dead. See, he thought that his stack of stuff gave him a pile of time. But he could not have been more wrong. Life does not equal the amount of stuff you have. The Bible doesn't say, he that hath the sun and a bunch of stuff hath life. And he that doesn't have enough stuff. No, it's it's totally. Your eternity has nothing to do with your stuff. Your purpose on this earth has nothing to do with stuff. Not a thing. God totally detached that. It's a separate thing. But we tie it together in our in our own minds and our hearts because greed is trying to take a foothold in our lives. In Jesus own words, I'm not saying this on my own. Jesus said this. This man was a fool. Jesus said thou fool. Yet he's a fool and I want you to think about this. He's a fool that many of us would have envied had we known him. When we drove by his farm, And we said, wow, he's got a nice farm. Wouldn't mind having a place like that. Look at that guy, he's tearing down his barns. He just built that barn. Man, what I wouldn't give to have a nice barn like that. See, we envy the fool. He's a fool that many of us have a tendency to emulate because we live out his story and we say, okay, I earned this, what am I gonna do with it now? What am I going to do with the goods that I possess? And that brings us to the all-important last subject of the day, the subject of extra. The subject of extra. I realize there's probably not a person in here this morning that has as much as you want. Probably not. But could I phrase it another way? In light of the fact that you probably have more than your parents did at this age, at your age, you probably have considerably more than most people across the planet. If you have a heated and cooled house, you are in the 88th percentile in the world. That means 88% of the people in the world don't have that. If you have electricity, just keep in mind that over half the world has none. And 35% of the world has intermittent electricity. That means it goes off and on all the time. No sense to have a refrigerator because it's going to go off four or five hours at a time each day, maybe two or three times a day. I'm not trying to make you feel bad that you're an American, but I, I want you to think about how God has blessed us. And I want you to Take this question, the next question I'm going to ask, into your heart today: Why do you have so much? See, we think of it the other way. Why do I have so little? Why does my brother have this? Why does my sister have that? Why does the coworker do that? Why do you have so much? Not so little, so much? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Because the consumer-driven world we live in keeps us thinking about what we don't have. And focusing on what we don't have leaves our hearts open to the parasite of greed to grow and grow and grow. As long as you're on a quest for more, here's what will happen. When more does come along, you will assume that it's all for you. The next purchase, the next upgrade, next whatever. So why do you have so much? Why has God provided you with more than you need? Funny thing is, there's probably been a time when you asked God to provide for you. You didn't hesitate to tell him about your lack You let him know just what you needed. God, we're out of this, and we need this, and this bill's due. And she did that, and he's there, and God, we need your help. And you did not hesitate to let God know. You expected him to take care of you because you're his child. And when he came through, you thanked him, and you gave a testimony. But now you have more than enough. Why not question God about that too? Just like you said, God, I need more. I need this. Got to figure that out. Why not say to God today, God, why do I have extra? Why do I have more than I need? Why is my family blessed more than we need? See, when we don't have enough, we wonder why. But why not wonder when we have more than enough? When we have more than enough, why don't we say, God, why do, why do I have more than enough? Let's consider the possibilities. we we'll close today to this, this question. Why do you have so much? First possibility, to ensure that your children have everything they need. Maybe God's given you extra so you can ensure that your children have everything they need. And maybe that's why, but probably not. See, live, leaving or giving your children a lot of money, normally does not set them up for success in life. I've been in ministry for 18 years. I have never yet had someone come in with this story for counseling. My problems all started, Pastor, when my parents didn't leave me enough money. Never had it happen yet. But the world's full of people whose problems started when they received money they didn't earn there was no stewardship there was nothing that made them want to use it wisely i'm not so sure that god gave you what you have in order to ruin your kids all right so let's take that one off the table now maybe you're still got it on the table but i'm going to take it off all right you guys good if i take it off Okay, I'm just seeing where you're at. Some of you are looking at me with big eyes. Which um, is scaring me a little bit. I don't know if I want to shake hands after church today. Let's try another one on as a possibility. Maybe God gave you an abundance so you won't worry. God gave you extra so you won't worry. Maybe God wants you to lean on your assets for inner peace. Does anybody see a problem with this plan? See, the more a person accumulates, the more he worries about what he's accumulated. If you have a house, that's why you worry about your house. If you have a yard, I wish you would worry about it because you're the neighbor who doesn't kill his weeds. (laughs) Listen to me, the greedy pastor speaking out to you. I should go and give him fertilizer you know god's word identifies peace as a fruit of the spirit it's not a byproduct of wealth the more you have the more you think about it the more you worry about it so let's throw that one out let's try a third one it could be that god wants you to elevate your standard of living bump up your lifestyle and not your two that's the american dream right I mean, a great number of Americans already have a lifestyle that's bigger than their income. You ever heard of credit card debt? If all your money is spoken for before you even deposit your paycheck, then greed already has an all-access pass to your heart. You are planning ahead of time to consume Everything God's given you. You say, Pastor, hold on. You don't understand. We have to pay the cable bill. We have to pay the satellite bill or the cell phone or the car payment or the credit card. We've got to pay for the kids this and we've got to go there and they've got to be in this club and they've got to go here and I've got to belong to the country club and I've got to play golf. And there's all these things that I've got to have to do. And we've got a vacation and we've got to go there. And we get these things in our mind. That says we've got to live up to a certain standard of living. We convince ourselves that all those luxuries are necessities. That they're things that we can't live without. And when I read the Bible, as much as it pains my own heart, that's the essence of covetousness. That is what covetousness in the Word of God is all about. You don't actually have to... Have extra to be greedy. As long as you plan to spend whatever comes your way on yourself, you are a candidate for greed. And if you'd allow if you've allowed your lifestyle to keep pace or surpass your income, you're gonna find it next to impossible to keep keep greed from taking root in your heart. Of course, there's another option to consider. Maybe God has provided you with extra so that you can retire early. Now, it never crossed the rich fool's mind in Luke 12 to be generous with his money or his time. Look at verse 19 again. There are a lot of people who are probably in need in this neighborhood, but here's what he said. I will say to my soul, thought he owned his soul. Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, God may have gifted you with the ability to get extra so that you can give years of your life to serving him. I know a lot of people who God has blessed financially enough to the point where they retire at 50 or 55 years and go to the mission field for the rest of their life. They volunteer to do things in the community. They work in the kingdom of God with their lives. Maybe that's a possibility. Remember when you were a kid? You had two cookies and your sister had none. Remember this? You guys with me? No? How many of you had no sister? Okay, that's the only reason why you wouldn't be thinking this right now. Um, But you had two and your sister had none. And your mom would say, quick, eat them both before she can get one in her greedy little fingers. Right? That's what your mom said, right? No, your mom said, make sure you share. Make sure you share. Your sister didn't get a cookie. Make sure you share. Right? If, the, if there were two cookies left in the jar and there were three kids, mom got out the knife and cut them into bits. You're like, I'm the biggest. I should get more. Greed. Right? So so the message that you got when you were a kid was to share. That was your mom's point of view. I want you to imagine for a moment seeing the world from God's point of view. Imagine being able to see all the people on the earth who have two cookies. Or three or four or eight or 20. And all the people who have none. None. Two billion people on the earth who do not have scriptures in their language. Billions of people on earth who do not have a meal, who don't even have water to drink. And God gave us cookies, a lot of them. And sometimes we don't see it from his point of view. And all I'm trying to get you to think about today is this. If God has blessed you with more than you need, it's only so that you can share the abundance with somebody else. You are his manager of stuff. You don't own it. You're just a manager. In the past few weeks, we've seen that guilt is conquered by a scriptural confession. We saw that anger... Is conquered with forgiveness last Sunday. But you know, the covetousness of greed is only conquered by generosity. It is the only thing that breaks the grip of greed on your life. So, whether or not you think you have extra, give and give generously. You have to give to the point that it forces you to adjust your lifestyle. See, if it doesn't force you to adjust your lifestyle, it's not real generosity. If you're not willing to do that, according to Jesus, you're greedy. If you are consuming to the point of having little or nothing left to give, you're greedy. If you're consuming and saving to the point that there's little or nothing to give, you're greedy. Say, Pastor, I knew you'd get to this. Churches are always about giving money. I'm talking about generosity in your heart. I'm not talking at all about the local church, about money, or any of those things here. I'm talking about your heart with God. I realize there are people in this room today of varying abundance. I have no idea what your checkbook looks like. I don't even know if you have one. I don't know what your money situation is at all. You might be one who strongly feels compassion when you see somebody in need And in your heart You really do want to give to help You want to give But you can't Or you won't but why is that? Here's why Because you're afraid You won't have enough That's why That's why we can go buy somebody in need And have $20 in our pocket And do nothing Because we're afraid that if we give that $20, we won't have enough. Greed is driven by fear. Is it fair to say that you're greedy? And I would have to say, yeah, it is fair, because greed's not a feeling. Greed's not a feeling. It's a refusal to act. Greed is not evidenced by how you feel. It's evidenced by what you do. Good intentions and greed can live in your heart at the same time. The vice President of the United States made over 400,000 dollars last year. He gave 400 dollars to charity. There are many people in this church who made a whole lot less than 400,000 dollars, who gave five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty thousand 10, 20,000 dollars. To the work of God Now if you're a child of God Don't pat yourself on the back too early We're still preaching about greed But there are a lot of people Especially in government Who talk compassion But they never put their own money Where their mouth is They want to take from everybody else To give to their projects They don't want to take from their own pocketbook In fact the guy who wants the Buffett rule doesn't want to keep the Buffett rule. The billionaire who wants the government to tax him more paid 15% on his taxes last year. And one of his companies owes $300 million and they're fighting with it. People don't like to part with their money. Whether they're billionaires or millionaires or thousandaires or if you have 10 cents in your pocket. Greed could be an issue in your life. Life. And God is trying to tell us we're going to leave it all behind when we die. That is crystal clear. We're not owners, we're managers. If we were owners, we'd get to keep it. We don't get to keep it. When you die, you lose it all. You're a manager. Some people get to manage more than others, but none are owners. And as managers, we don't have any reason to feel guilty for what we've been given to manage. We shouldn't feel guilt. We should feel responsibility. Let me close with this. If, if you have a financial advisor, I don't know how many people even would in this room. But if you did, you would want that person to feel responsible, right? You don't want that person to feel guilty about managing your money. Hopefully, he feels responsible because it's not his Hopefully he doesn't go spend it on whatever he wants. Hopefully he doesn't pull a, a burning made-off and made off with your money. Hopefully your financial advisor's in it for you, not himself. And when you sat down with the first time, here's what he asked you: What are your goals? See, his goals are irrelevant. He's not the owner. You aren't discussing his money. From time to time, he may call and ask you, what do you want me to do with these assets? After all, it's your money. Everything can change in your life. See this reality. You are just one of God's financial managers. He is the owner. It's our job to figure out what he wants to do with his resources and protect ourselves from covetousness and greed. Because we're not owners. Hebrews 13.5 says it this way. Let your conversation, let your lifestyle be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. See, that's where our peace comes from. Our peace The peace that passes all understanding, that keeps our hearts and minds, comes from Jesus Christ. It has not come from any possession. It has not come from any amount of money. It has not come from any car or any house or any vacation spot. It comes from Jesus Christ. And I believe God has us to speak this message for a reason. Because greed disguises itself. Greed hides itself. And when we speak to the time when people can come and pray today or sit at your seat and pray, here's what many will think in their heart I know that the message hit me, and I know that I have a problem with greed, but since nobody else knows, I'll just take care of it later. Can I tell you this? You won't take care of it later. You won't. God is a right now God. God is the God of the present. He wants you to live in the present right now. Let's bow in prayer. If God's spoken to your heart today, I hope you'll respond to his word. I haven't spoken much about salvation, but if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ is your Savior, in a minute you could come right down to the front, take my hand. We can have someone show you from the Word of God in a private room how you can know for certain